Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas. Conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. And today I want to welcome a creative group that is going to bring, again, a magnificent piece of work and engagement for our community. Today I want to welcome three guests that are going to bring the component of randomness in our podcast, including also a music performance, so stay here because there's a lot of great things to listen and share and enjoy. I want to welcome uh, Walken Schweiger, Gus Genley, and Lindsay Swan. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having us. So let's talk a little bit about your work. Let's talk a little bit about the process that you have been experiencing now that you are coming back and doing again this interesting piece, this interesting project, this amazing way to bring art as a way of communication and as a way to engage with the community. The best thing about our work is that it's a play. That's what I love about it. <clears throat> I'm so glad that we're coming back to perform in Holyoke. Um, mm. We performed our opera, uh, which is called The Wastelands, and it's loosely based on Dante's Purgatorio, which is the part two of his Divine Comedy. So it's about Dante's journey through Purgatory, the place between hell and heaven. And we we have a, a kind of surreal interpretation of what that means in our current situation, uh, where we see a lot of um, a lot of social oppression and a lot of environmental devastation. And our little artistic group, we wanted to ask ourselves how what is an appropriate way to respond right now, and how can we change within ourselves to meet the current conditions of our environment. So we performed last year and we, we did it at the Holyoke Creative Arts Center and the Worgen and we took people around uh, and through the outside of this old mill, which was one of Holyoke's first paper mills. It was really wonderful and I think we had a really great time, but we didn't really crack into the Holyoke community until after the show, actually. It was like through the process of doing the show that we met Natalie Vicencio and through Natalie <laughs> through Natalie we ended up meeting with several community organizers. Um, we had a gathering at Enlace de Familias and we met Betty Lichtenstein and some of the other old school veteran organizers that have been so impactful in this place and started to actually get to know the people. So it's really great to come back here and to know people um, and to be able to engage the community in coming back here and change the way that we perform and the way that we listen to the space. I'd like to say a little bit about where uh, we've been between when we were here last year and where and now. So our ensemble is called Children of the Wild. 
And we have spent the past five to seven years uh, creating uh, this opera that Lindsay was describing. And we perform it in places that have been, as we say, abused and then abandoned by industry. These places that are in a state of rewilding. And that is another aspect of the story that we are telling with this opera. In Dante's world, in his poem, Purgatorio, the characters are going through, or going up rather, this mountain um, that is made up of people who are trying to purge themselves of one of the seven deadly sins. Uh, But in our reimagining of Dante's world, we are traversing a world in which people are going through the seven stages of grief. And so by being in places that have been ravaged by by industry, um, but then abandoned, that are in a place um, of transforming into something else, we are wanting to speak to many different aspects of grief, ecological grief, cultural grief, personal grief. So there's a lot that is happening there. Um, And after we premiered the show, um, or showed the show for the first time publicly here uh, in Holyoke, uh, we went on a six-month tour across the Great Lakes, performing uh, in, we performed in, okay, help me out here, guys, Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. You got it. You got it, Walken. I okay. believe in you. Okay, Buffalo, New York. Then we went to yes. Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. Then we went yes. to Lorraine, yes. Ohio. Ohio. Then we went to Mackinac City in Michigan. Yes. We backtracked a little bit to go to Detroit, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Then we went to Duluth. And then we ended in Minneapolis, which is not on the Great Lakes proper, but is uh, an origin point for our ensemble. So it felt like... He did it. He did it. Walking. Got them all. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So so it felt important to to bring the work back there um, because... Or to bring the work there. Um, Yeah, and we did that whole... So we we developed the opera while being in residence uh, at Double Edge Theater in Ashfield, and uh, had various work trades uh, with the company there, uh, which included um, me and another member of our ensemble, Katie Burgess, being mentored by uh, two of the core artistic directors of Double Edge, Stacey Klein and Carlos Uriona. So we definitely owe them a huge debt of gratitude. And then our partner in our tour across the Great Lakes was this organization called the Great Lakes Commons, which I don't know if would, uh, not to put you on the spot, but I don't need well, to That sounds like you're putting them. us on the spot. <laughs> Great Lakes Commons is a small but mighty group of people that has been forming over the last three or four years in the Great Lakes bioregion. And it's a group of people coming from the United States, Canada, and several First Nations. And they are finding in common a belief in the need, the absolute essential need, as well as the desire to govern and care for and protect our natural resources in perpetuity. And unfortunately, we have both private and state governance systems and special interests that completely divide our natural environments based on artificial boundaries and then create you know, policies for caring for those resources that are easily terminated or easily exploited. And so the Great Lakes as one of the richest natural resources, not just for the continent, but for the world is under a lot of different layers of threat. 
So this group is reviving a sense of indigenous wisdom for caring for the environment, as well as caring for ourselves because we are water and we are the water that we drink. And so in, indigenous governance paired with commons governance, a way of looking at common resources and the way to have collective uh, responsibility. So taking the power out of an authoritative body and bringing it back into the hands of a people. When I heard Walker mentioning the different places that you've been touring, I was thinking the connection and similarities and also the difference between some of the cities that you've been through. And of course, I thought of Detroit uh, as a great point of comparison because Holyoke is a small city. Detroit, of course, is a huge city, but I believe both share so much in common about having so mm -hmm. much industry in decay, but at the same time re-emerging. And then thinking also in Minneapolis and Paul, the Twin Cities, as a point that maybe is not having that same type of struggle, mm -hmm. but it has a lot of diversity that struggles with that coexistence. Mm -hmm. And that is something mm -hmm. that also Detroit and Holyoke are yeah. experiencing. It's actually so inspiring for me. I know I've been talking a lot, but just to say quickly, um, like Nuestras Raizas, as an example of a group of people that just, you know, noticed uh, a situation in their community that was less than desirable. Um, you know, people that did not have access to good food, didn't have the information about how to uh, get good food, and also a lot of places in the community that were sites of crime, and taking those, taking those places into their own hands and finding ways to turn them into community gardens. That's exactly what has happened in Detroit also, where... Uh, the state has decided to completely uh, remove itself and a lot of social services have disappeared. And as a result of that, people in different neighborhoods are uh, creating their own programs for snow removal, um, for health services, food distribution, etc. How did you found Holyoke? I would say in some ways that Holyoke found us. You would say that. <laughs> I, I will, and I did. <laughs> I stand by that statement. Um, it was in a sort of circuitous way. It was through our mentors at, at Double Edge. Um, there was a woman who uh, is named Javiera Benevente, and uh, she is someone that I first met uh, when I came to Double Edge for the first time about 10 years ago. Um, and she's someone who I have greatly admired uh, since then. <laughs> um, and so we have stayed in touch uh, as best we can. And uh, uh, so when we were, when we got the opera after our many years of working on it, when we got the opera to a place where um, it was, we were ready to share it publicly with an audience, she was one of the first people that I called to be like, do you have any suggestions about where we could bring this show? Um, and she got us in touch with the Holyoke Creative Arts Center. Um, and so uh, they were one of our partners, uh, them along with the Worgen and the Mifa Victory Theater were our partners last year, and they are our partners this time around too. Uh, but as um, other people I think have mentioned, we're also like, trying to bring more people to the table as well, because I think that it's a show that can, in a way that dreams can have many different meanings to many people. You know, when I think Lindsay was mentioning the surrealism of our performance, I think that that's one way in which it, it manifests. Um, so 
But yeah, so that was how we found, that's how we came to Holyoke. And like you mentioned, it was after it happened when the whole reaction started to burst and to move. And I believe many people were wondering if there was another possibility, another opportunity to experience this opera again. And we are lucky enough to have that opportunity one more time. But I think with the changes that we are living, just with the change of our structural government and our lives in general, how much do you think this second time will have a new way to be presented for our community? I think, unfortunately, it's more resonant and relevant than ever. What we do with our show and our work is we face darkness. And we find humor and light. We find hope. And that is what The Wastelands is about. It is about finding hope not by escaping darkness, but by embracing it and by facing it and seeing it for what it is and understanding it. And we do that through, we talk a lot about grief and we talk a lot about, um, about the darkness. It is, in fact, I think it is worth saying, quite a funny show. <laughs> we have a, <laughs> if it's not obvious, I don't think it is. We, we, have, a, we have a lot of, it's, it's kind of funny show. We have um, one of our performers who's not here right now, Uh, her name is Katie Burgess. She's uh, and another performer who's not here right now. His name's Michael Holbert. Um, there's a lot of physical clowning and a lot of, of physical comedy and virtuosity in the performance itself. And it's not there just to provide lightness. It's elemental to the to the story that we're telling. And it's through this humor that we transform ourselves and we become different people. And we can't do that unless we face the darkness. And so I think I hear a lot of people saying that we are living in dark times right now and that things on the outside are getting darker and darker and there's more cause to be afraid. But I find that to be a, a very hopeful situation, actually, because I think what we are saying through our show and what I think is true is that until we face our shadows, we... We won't go through the transformations we need to to become our better selves. I would even dare to say embrace. You know, I think that uh, there's a reason that our performance, it's an opera that was written uh, in G minor. So it's a, uh, and it's, heavy musically in some ways. Um, and the choice to pair that with the levity of clowning that Gus was describing uh, was a very conscious choice. You know, I think that we need both of those. You know, I think we live in a, um, in a culture that teaches us to deny different parts of ourselves, both internally and different parts of our communities as well. And uh, This, I think one of the one of the things about this performance is that it's about it's about embracing the paradox. Um, one of the things that my mentor Carlos likes to say is uh, that, which is not a saying that he came up with, um, but 
is that the sign of wisdom is how many paradoxes you can hold at the same time. So in saying that, I want to also say that we, our performance, the foundation of our performance uh, is a series of questions and that we have no plan that we are trying to impose. I would even say that I don't think that we have any solutions that we are offering. <laughs> um, this is simply, we had the questions within ourselves about how do you find hope in despair? What, uh, what is the root of oppression? How, do you, how does that live within our communities? How does that live within ourselves, like within us personally? And this performance is simply a way of us sharing our exploration of, of these questions. Sometimes in order to find the answers, we need to have that catalytic that sparks those questions and ignites that conversation and that process of thinking about those solutions that come after that question has been has been presented. So I believe that's what I take from from your description that the opera ignites that process. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I think that we there is fire <laughs> <laughs> and juggling. Um, yeah, I mean, my greatest hope would be that that our audiences take the questions that we pose in the performance and use them to come up with concrete solutions. You know, it's not that we don't think that there aren't you know, that there isn't hope or that there aren't ways of like addressing, you know, water shortages or lack of food uh, or, you know, any of the varied things that come up in the performance or that our, that our performance is about. But I think it's, it's that we are very conscious that we, as our ensemble, Children of the Wild, uh, do not consider ourselves to be the bearers of those answers. You know, that like all of these communities in which we, that we tour to, that we partner with, those communities have already the resources to be generative and healing themselves. Mm -hmm. So now talking about the performance itself, because we are utilizing the terms opera, play, you mentioned there's fire, there's music and juggling. So now I guess some people should be wondering how this works, how this takes place, because you were mentioning that also happens at the mill. So for people that have no idea what exactly put in their minds about this play, how would you describe it without spoiling it, of course? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> Lindsay's got it. <laughs> I don't know you, that I got it, it. But so I can say that it's an outdoor journey and we demand hopefully not too much of our audiences, but just enough. Uh, that they feel like they can enter inside the world with us. We begin in front of the Holyoke Creative Arts Center right on Dwight Street. And after a short time, we begin to travel together. And through seven, more or less, <laughs> seven different scenes, you know, for which we pause in several locations, we ultimately w make our way through and around the entire complex. Um, and following that, there's a, a walking uh, musical procession to our post-show reception site. But yet, it's a physical journey that we go through together, and it's very musically driven. We do sing in Italian, and because it is Dante's original Italian, even Italian speakers often don't understand it. 
because it is the old Florentine Italian. And so we really call upon the emotion that lies within each of us to understand what is going on um, because it's not obvious and it's not literal. Yeah, like even if you understood this, you know, sort of archaic uh, Italian that we're singing, I don't think that that would really explain what was happening in the performance, (laughs) Um, especially because I'm the composer for our ensemble, and uh, I also arranged the libretto for the opera, so I chose the excerpts from uh, Dante's Purgatorio that were going to be in the libretto for the opera, and the parts that I chose were the parts in which Dante is describing the punishments, I guess, that the people in purgatory are going through to try to purge themselves of whatever sin it is whose terrace they are on. Mm -hmm. Did that grammar make sense? Mm -hmm. Well done. Thank you. But our performance is not based on those seven those seven sins, it's based, as I was saying, on the seven stages of grief. And that's what the performance is addressing, and that's what the music behind the words is also addressing. Like Lindsay was saying, it's there are many different kinds of poetry that are that are happening in the show. There's musical or like sonic poetry, and I think that also comes from how the music resonates in the space where we are, because that's also very, very different from site to site in which we perform. But there is the written poetry of Dante's words and also of um, banners uh, and other bits of text that Gus wrote and that at times... Some of them Gus Lindsay and I wrote together. And there's also kinesthetic poetry as well of each of our characters interacting with each other and with the, with the environment. And I think uh, to a certain extent um, present in innately in the form of clown itself. So it's a very musical, circus-influenced, surrealist performance and I that may make it sound very esoteric to people but I uh, (laughs) but I um, but in our experience uh, it's not the essence of what it is that we're talking about is not very uh, difficult to understand and is something that is all too common in experience for uh, I think anyone who is an alive human, you know? We all know about loss. We all know about struggle. We all know about, uh, you know, we all have moments in which we have had to call on something either deep within ourselves or within each other or outside of ourselves in order to keep going. And that is what is at the root of clown. I think that is what is at the root of our musical journey. um, And that's what is really at the root of the performance. Um, So, People should bring umbrellas because we also perform if it rains. So that's just in terms of people. But I was umbrellas to... and folding chairs. If yes, you'd like. if you want. Yeah. We do what we can to make our show as accessible as possible, physically and culturally. We do make sure that it's wheelchair accessible. We ask people refrain from using fragrances on themselves like perfumes so that people with sensitivities can enjoy the space even though we're outside we also we do what we can to translate our work uh we'll be doing what we can to translate our work into spanish uh when we're here in holyoke having said that we ask a little bit of our audience to expect to walk if you can walk and maybe even to give up a little bit of comfort physically Um, that you might be used to if you're thinking about going to the theater and sitting in a comfortable chair. 
for an hour and a half or something mm-hmm. and watching some show. We ask that you give up a little bit of your comfort and uh, physically and uh, perhaps find some spiritual comfort in the journey that we take together. Because exactly like Linz uh, described it, this is a, a journey that uh, is going to be experienced together. And uh, the best way to experience it is getting immersed into the proposal of visiting, listening, and living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well said. Mm-hmm. So when? This is going to happen because it is bound to be soon. Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. It's happening the first weekend of May, so May 5th, 6th, and 7th. Uh, the performances are at 5.30 on the 5th and the 6th, and then 3.30 on the 7th. And we also, we have, uh, while there's no talking in the performance itself, we do have post-show uh, conversations, which are opportunities for people to to talk to each other and talk to us. Mm-hmm. That will be uh, in the same location or is there a specific space already? We're, we're still confirming the location. I wish we could announce it right now, but we're still confirming the location. Um, but it will be uh, very close to the performance site. It's walkable and we, we will lead people there in a procession, uh, as Lindsay was saying, uh, after directly after the performance. But also, uh, we will have it will be it will be known. I mean, once we have the place confirmed, it will be on the Facebook page. It will be on our website. It will be on the program, so that if people wanted to drive there from the performance site, they could do that as well. And as usual, you know that every time we have some activities happening, you can always look on our website, radioplasma.com, as we will have all the updated information and ways to know everything about this event because that is a way to keep everything running smoothly so now mm-hmm. that you mentioned the facebook page and the website mm-hmm. how can people get to know more about your work to contact you and of course get all the information we do have we love live events we love meeting people and being persons with people yeah our website is childrenofthewild.org And our phone number, our email address is there. Definitely, we welcome all forms of correspondence. And you can get in touch with us on Facebook as well. And come to the show. Just come May 5th and 6th and 7th. No tickets required. Oh, yeah. It's free and open to the public. We Did we say that? Mentioned. It's free. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a free we, show. <laughs> that's part of our part of our mission uh, as an ensemble is that we never charge admission um, for any of our performances. Um, we do pass a hat afterwards, uh, and you can, you know, donate or not as you want or wish. Um, but, yeah, that's an important part of our uh, of our work and of our, our practice and of our, our process. Um, and also... Uh, of the the theatrical lineage that we consider ourselves to be in. And also following that that information that Gus said about being as inclusive possible and providing information in Spanish as well. Walken mentioned me before starting this session that he knows the way to promote this event in Spanish. So <laughs> if I can bother Walken on that part. Yes, definitely. Bueno. Uh, les invitamos uh, a una presentación gratis de El Páramo en Holyoke, Massachusetts, uh, donde esta ópera estrenó en el 2017. El Páramo es una ópera folclórica experimental inspirada por el purgatorio de Dante y la primera parte del rewilding cycle de Children of the Wild. 
uh, siguiendo a Dante y Virgil a través de las siete etapas del purgatorio, el Parmo explora las siete etapas del duelo en un momento violento de desintegración medioambiental y política, guiado por la poesía musical, visual y kinestética. El páramo viaja por lugares en un proceso de volver a convertirse en páramo, fábricas abandonadas, astilleros, descuidados, uh, zonas de sacrificio. Al participar uh, de manera visceral con sitios de duelo medioambiental, sobre todo, el páramo desuela los diversos rostros de nuestro duelo cultural, el sexismo, el racismo, la homofobia, la queerfobia, el colonialismo, el clasismo, el entrocentrismo y el antropocentrismo. El espectáculo dura 75 minutos con una recepción y diálogo a continuación y todas las presentaciones son gratis y abiertas al público, aunque pedimos donaciones después de la presentación. Uh, se hace posible el evento con el apoyo del Holyoke Creative Arts Center, el Oregon y el MIFA Victory Theater. If this is not enough reason for you to <laughs> be present on May 5th, 6th and 7th, yeah, I'm telling you to be there for the three days because I believe <laughs> each one it will have a totally different <laughs> vibe and feeling. It's true. I still have something more to convince you that you must be there. And that is because the children of the wild agreed to do a performance here at the Plasma Media Lab. So <laughs> that's what is coming up next. Also, there's one other thing that I want to add, if that's okay. Yeah. Which is that for people who saw the show here last year and think like, oh, been there, done that, uh, I want you all to know that we have changed the show in several key ways uh, since you saw it last year. We have uh, composed new songs while we were on the road um, that are now a part of the opera. We've combined some scenes and cut others. So uh, I really encourage anyone who saw the show last year to please, please, please come again uh, and, um, and see it as it is now. Did we mention it's free? <laughs> And I, I also want to add that the time after the show, during the reception, when we have this conversation together, is a really important time. It's one of my favorite times because it's hopefully a time when we can all come together and actually begin to talk about this place that we're in, Holyoke, and what are some of the, uh, both some of the challenges, some of the the darkest darknesses, and also some of the lightest lights, some, some of the most inspiring Uh, changes that are taking place and to really begin to grapple with um, the landscape of this place and share stories around that. So we have the Children of the Wild here at the Radio Plasma Podcast and after this little break we will listen to them. Stay tuned, don't go away. You're listening Radio Plasma and we want to listen to your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, comments, Request people or matters that you would like to hear about in this space. You can contact us on our website, radioplasma.com, and through our social media channels, Twitter, Radio Plasma Lab, and facebook.com slash radioplasma. And we're back. This is the Radio Plasma podcast, and we have today, as part of our randomness and a music performance by the Children of the Wild, 
here at the Plasma Media Lab, and this is part of the music that will be performed at the Westland. So this song is called Can You Show Me What Love Is? It is a dialogue between uh, Dante and Virgil at a moment in which Dante is sort of despairing at the place where they are at and wondering what the point is of Virgil showing him all of these things, to which Virgil describes his views on love and on hope and the soul, uh, which was this moment in which Dante, the writer, is really speaking his own mystical, as in mysticism, views on love through the poet character Virgil in this moment. So my name is Joachim Schweigert, and I play the role of Virgil. And I'm Lindsay Swan, and I play Dante.
ser contento più di giorno che se mi fosse pia da chi I told you, if there is not enough reasons to be on May 5th, 6th, and 7th, you may not be alive. <laughs> This was a beautiful performance that it is also because of the magic of the impromptu, which is... Even though it is scheduled and planned for some specific dates and times to happen, but it is open for the impromptu to happen as well as it comes. Because we don't know, like you mentioned, it may be rain. We don't know how the weather is going to be. We're in New England. Remember that. <laughs> There is no guarantee of specific type of weather. And that is also part of the whole experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we're, we're all a part of this world. We're in, and we're in it together. What would you like to add as a way to bring this session to a beautiful... I mean, there is no way to make it more beautiful than this right now. <laughs> but what would you like to add? Bring your wastelands. Mm -hmm. mm. And your love. We love love. Like the weather, we have no idea what love is going to throw our way. <laughs> Um, I think I just want to say again uh, how grateful I am uh, to Natalie Vicencio uh, and to you for having us here, mm -hmm. um, to the Warrigan, to the Holyoke Creative Arts Center, to the MIFA Victory Theater, to Double Edge, and to everyone else here who has made our time being here developing this performance uh, in our community just so entirely special and beautiful. And I just feel so privileged and honored to be able to to share this with everyone uh, again before we move back to Minnesota. Well, this is the Wasteland, a little sample of what uh, you can experience on May 5th, 6th, and 7th of 2017 uh, here at the Warrigan on Dwight Street in the city of Herlock, Massachusetts. All the information also available on our website, radioplasma.com. I want to thank Walken, Gus and Lindsay for being here, for doing this amazing work, uh, 
for this commitment to the expression of art, but also to bring this message to the communities that you have been visiting and to bring together the community of Holyoke with your music, with your art, with your performances, with your passion. It is something that says so much about your human qualities and I really appreciate this energy that you brought today uh, with us at this session at the Plasma Lab. Mm, thank you, Johan. Thank you. Mm, thank you. It's been an utter delight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, of course, I want to thank as well Natalie Vicencio for making this possible to being the connector for this magical sessions to happen. The second, the second on the row, and I keep counting. So this is the Radio Plasma podcast. This episode was produced at the Plasma Media Lab at the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Remember, you can listen at radioplasma.com and we are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>